Hey everybody, welcome to episode 39 of the Neuro Experience Podcast. I am Louisa Nicola, I am your host, and in this episode, Dr. Ron and I talk about dental stress, postural stress, and how the way you sleep may be silently killing you. Welcome to the Neuro Experience. I am your host, Louisa Nicola. I am a mathematician, former Australian triathlete, and neuro performance coach. I am your brain coach. I know what it takes to succeed at the highest levels and I'm here to show you how to get from where you are to where you want to be. This show is designed to teach you scientific mental strategies that you can use and implement to get results fast. So expect to be fearless. Take notes and take action. Let's get into it. Welcome to the episode, guys. As you know, it's Thursday interview day, the day where I get to interview a top expert in the area of human potential. And that may be holistic health, that may be neurology. We've had some great guests on here, but today we've got Dr. Ron, who is one of Australia's leading holistic health advocates. He actually has a holistic dental center in Sydney where he sees patients from all over the world. Now, Dr. Ron has over 35 years of practice and he has developed his health model of how stress affects our health, breaking stress down to emotional, environmental, nutritional, postural and dental stresses. Now, what drew my attention to Dr. Ron was his book, which is called A Life Less Stressed. And for anybody out there who's wanting to get more clear you know, on their, on their emotional stress, on their physical stress, or even learn about stress, I would highly suggest you reading this book. He breaks it down into three parts, which is understanding public health messages, redefining stress and taking control of your health. Now, all of these will be covered in this episode, but just as a heads up, anybody wanting to get clear about stress in all forms from postural to dental to emotional stress, then make sure you listen through because Dr. Ron is going to give us all of the insights and he solves some of the biggest problems facing people's health today. Let's get into it. I probably started this journey in about 1981 or two where I was treating a lot of people for chronic musculoskeletal pain. Uh, it was headaches, neck aches, jaw aches. And at the time, we referred to it as TMJ, temporomandibular joint dysfunction. And, um, you know, everybody has got crowded teeth. A lot of people have got uh, clicking jaws. Uh, but there was a whole lot more going on there. And in about, in about 1983, I attended a course in America where a chiropractor had this wonderful model of stress which I've carried with me ever since. Mm. And that model says our health is affected by stress and stress is a combination of emotional, environmental, nutritional, postural and, yes, dental stress. And I like that because, uh, you know, if the only tool you've got is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. Everyone's heard that expression. And if the only tool I had was being a dentist, then, of course, I was restricting what I could offer my patients. So I became very interested, particularly in nutrition and posture. Um, at the time, environmental issues, you know, wasn't – it was an issue. You know, we, we were talking about environment. But it was really early days, 1983, to be talking about environmental stressors was early. And at that stage in my life, I wasn't totally comfortable talking about emotional stress. I just didn't feel 
I was qualified to even raise the issue. Mm. But as, as the years progressed, uh, you know, I found it to be an incredibly good model for asking all the right questions. And it's just led me on a journey where I've explored those issues. Mm. And so the book, in a sense, the book's called A Life Less Stressed. And, and I often joke and say, look, it's really not autobiographical. I wish I could say it was. <laughs> but, but in a sense, it is because it kind of follows um, all the things that have interested me in healthcare over the last almost uh, 40 years or 35 to 40 years. Wow. I love what you said with, um, I didn't realise that, I haven't even looked into the dental aspect, but something yeah. that I'm really big on putting content out there is the fact that your body it when it you know if you if you're undergoing mental stress emotional stress physical stress your body really reacts in the same way it's it doesn't matter it do, your body doesn't say oh this is mental stress oh this is emotional it just says stress okay yeah and well, that's I, interesting. you know yeah I, I often i think in order to solve a problem and i think most people would acknowledge that stress has become a problem in our modern world you've really got to know what that problem is. And so that's why I think those five stress model that I use uh, really covers, I think, almost all the bases. Can you talk a bit more about the model? So do you, yeah, yeah I'd love to know more about that. Yeah, well, look, I think the, the basic concept people need to understand is that our body always tries to maintain a level of homeostasis, to be in balance, yeah. and, and, and ideally to be in, in a great balance, in a good balance, a feeling of health and well-being. Just because you don't have a diagnosable disease doesn't mean you're as well as you can be. Mm. So we try to maintain homeostasis. Now, stress is a really interesting thing because... It has always been a protective, it's protected us for literally, well, hundreds of thousands, let's say even millions of years. And, and it's got us out of trouble. You know, it's the fight or flight response when we're faced with danger, when we're chasing down something, we yeah. get a quick response, our sympathetic nervous system kicks in yeah. and, and a whole lot of stuff happens that, that is really good for us. Yeah. And, and so that has always served us very well. The problem is today, stress is constant you know yeah. so we we in that stress response we're in stress for a couple of minutes maybe a half an hour maybe an hour but for the rest of the time we're in parasympathetic mode mm. so the sympathetic is the fight and flight and the parasympathetic is the rest and digest and and it's that's that's what we should be in for most of the time and yet the the whole thing has been reversed nowadays in our modern world we seem to be in the sympathetic mode in the fight or flight mode all the time or yeah. a lot of the time and there are lots of reasons why that is and that's why those five models work well but what when you're in that sympathetic overload a few things very important things happen firstly um blood supply is diverted from your muscles uh, from your digestive system to your muscles. You've got to get out of there. That's mm. the fight and flight. So it doesn't matter whether you're eating the best diet in the world and taking the best supplements in the world, but if you are not in the parasympathetic mode, you will not be absorbing those nutrients. So, mm. so that's one thing that happens. Another thing that happens is our body doesn't see our fight with microbes or, or, or toxins, our immune system doesn't see that as an issue. Our immune, all our energy is focused to getting out of the danger. So being in sympathetic overload shuts down our immune system and that's not such a good thing. Yeah. The other thing that happens is 
that instead of the frontal part of our brain being the dominant one, the one that gives us consideration, logic, thought, uh, we, we revert more to our reptilian brain and we work on reflex. And some of those reflex decisions that we make are not always as well considered as we might be. So, so being in that sympathetic mode is a problem. Now, in our modern world, it's not just emotional stress that does it to us, that upsets that homeostasis, that balance. We're exposed to thousands of chemicals on a daily basis. I mean, yes. in, the, in the food we eat, in the water we drink, in the personal care products we put on our skin, in our home care products, um, you know, we are exposed to tens of thousands of chemicals. And we rather naively assume that if they're there, they're safe. They've been tested. But, um, I'm, you know, it's sad to say that's simply not the case. Yeah, marketing so does work well, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and then we're also in this minefield of radiation. So, so you know, we, we are walking around with Wi-Fi radiation, which the World Health Authority has now, and I'm talking about on our phones, on our laptops, and our, on our uh, tablets, <clears throat> the World Health Authority has now classified that kind of radiation as a class 2P, a 2B, a class 2B carcinogen, mm. which means it's a possible possible carcinogen and we put it to our heads we rest it in our laps we carry it we put it in our pockets we even put it next to our beds while we're trying to sleep so radiation is another problem um, you know we talk about nutritional stress well we have an overabundance of seemingly cheap nutrient poor mass-produced food mm. and I and I say seemingly cheap because when you factor in the health costs and the environmental costs of that mass-produced seemingly cheap food it's not cheap at all and and you cannot separate our health from the environment's health whatever is good for the environment is generally good for our health and whatever is good for our health is generally good for the environment and the same is is true you know in the opposite whatever's bad is bad and and so on. So we've got that as part of our nutritional stress, if you like. And yeah. there are, I go into at least, I suppose, eight or ten principles about what is wrong with our modern diet. And um, and so there, there are issues there. So environmentally with chemicals, radiation, with food, posture. I mean, you know, you're into athletics, uh, yeah. Louisa, and, and you know very well that uh, sitting is the new smoking. Yes. And we, and, and we do an awful lot of that. We do an awful lot of that. And people who think they can get down to the gym and work out for 30 to 60 minutes a day and then sit on their asses for 23 hours are just not getting the message correctly. We need to move. We need to be moving. And that's a really important uh, stress. And I go into a whole range of different stresses. I mean, there are so many postural stresses we now develop that affects our, our whole musculature our whole balance that's really important um emotionally you know we, wow you that's a big one that's a huge stress. one i mean you, you you look in any public space and you look at people look around you and you will see we are totally connected with the world we've got thousands of friends and we're liked by lots of people but we are just not connecting to the person sitting next to us. And, and that connection turns out to be the people that we, the relationships we have and how we connect with those friends and family in our community turns out to be 
one of the most important predictors of good health and longevity that there is. So, you know, and we're constantly bombarded by bad news and we're constantly bombarded with social media and feeling like we're missing out on, you know, that whole FOMO uh, mm. problem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there is a constant stress that's going on there. So, and then, then of course, gee, do you want me to go on about dental stress? That's a whole other story as well. I want to get to that. But before <laughs> we get to that, I want to just, I just want to stop and focus on cortisol because obviously when the body is stressed, you know, when we when we get stressed, it responds yep. as if, you know, if you go back, you date back into prehistoric times, stress was running away from a tiger and mm. we'd, we'd produce cortisol, which shuts off sex hormones, which is another thing I'd love to go into you um, love to go into because a lot of yep. women are finding it hard now to conceive and that's a really big issue. But so... If we're trying to wake up the parasympathetic um, system, how do we do that? Is that through modalities like uh, the food we eat, meditation, breathing? Is that how yeah. we do it? Well, uh, what a great question. And, and look, you know, I believe that as the problems we face in the world become more complex, mm. and that's why I deal with all of those stresses in the second part of my book, the third part of my I believe the solutions are remarkably simple. And that's what, what I talk about in the third part with the five pillars to health and wellness. And, and to me, those five pillars are sleep, breathe, nutrition, movement, and thought. Now, how do we switch on the parasympathetic nervous system? Well, the very first pillar um, that I think uh, is, is fundamental, foundational to any serious long-term journey to health and wellness and you know by long term I mean you know throughout your life is sleep and sleep is a function of both qual quantity sleeping enough and quality how well you breathe while you're asleep now people don't often think about how they breathe but breathing is a very, very quick and simple way of turning on your parasympathetic nervous system. In fact, your listeners, we could go through an exercise now which would be no more than one minute mm. and we could turn on people's parasympathetic nervous system. It's not the most dynamic of talkback situations, so I'll run you through it. <laughs> Please I'll do. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> okay. Well, basically, it is simply inhale through your nose for four to five seconds Exhale through your nose for four to five seconds and hold your breath on the exhale breath for four to five seconds. So it's inhale slowly, exhale slowly and hold. Is this box breathing that we're doing now? Is this what? Is this box breathing? Is this what it's box, called? Box, box breathing. Now, that's not a term I'm familiar with. Oh, really, it's, a so. great, it's a great um, breathing technique I learned from a Navy SEAL, and it's, it's kind of the same as this, four in, hold, four out. Yeah. Yes. yes. And, and that holding the breath on the exhaled breath, mm -hmm. and you repeat that four or five times, so that means you'll be breathing in one minute, you'll probably do five breaths, four or five breaths in one minute. That in one or two minutes switches on your parasympathetic nervous system right there so wow. how pow how powerful a tool is that Extremely. it doesn't cost a cent and you've got it with you all day you can practice it throughout the day but but it gets back to really the foundational pillar is is sleep and that is just so critical for so many reasons i mean we could talk at length about that 
Yeah, I've actually done, um, I wrote an article, I think it was three weeks ago now, about it's about the quality of sleep. And, you know, we go into the stages of sleep saying anybody can get in REM sleep, anybody can get in light sleep, but it's more about the um, the neurogenesis happens in deep sleep. And a lot of us mm. fail to get into deep sleep. And when I hear my athletes say, oh, I'll just sleep an extra two hours. And it's it's not about that. I, I truly believe that we don't need, if we're sleeping correctly and we're priming our body and our mind before we go to sleep, then we can get into the deep sleep and we don't need any more than seven hours. That's what I believe. Well, well, well you know, the statistics tell us that, um, you know, for 90% of the population, seven to nine hours is the is the goal and eight is the average. But seven is, if you're sleeping well, um, and you're breathing well while you're asleep, uh, then, um, yeah, seven hours is probably enough, you know. I mean, the, yeah. the key is really how are you feeling. That's mm. a really important point. I mean, you know, we talk about averages, but ultimately everybody's an individual, um, but, but it's how you're feeling. And the idea of sleep is to regenerate and reboot the system to to get the nervous system because our nervous system works on synapses. You know, yes. our whole body is we are walking. We're a walking nervous system, mm. and so these a good night's sleep is all about um, allowing that nervous system to to recover and to be working optimally. So that's why it's not just about it is about quantity. It's important because you know people who sleep three to four hours a day know they're not getting enough sleep. It's the people who are sleeping six hours a day that are the most interesting because they think they're getting enough sleep, but they actually perform just as badly as those that are getting three to four hours of sleep. And interestingly, the, the research tells us that half the American population, and I think that would be true in Australia as well, at least half the American and Australian population get a, only six hours or less of sleep a night. And that's pretty worrying mm. for a whole range of reasons. It's worrying because it's not the fact that they're, they believe that they don't have time and they need to get up early it's what they're doing while they're awake what are they doing for those 18 hours a day and you'll find that if you really do a time audit on most people they're spending two or three hours a day watching tv or on social media when they could be using that time to do things like meditate exercise prime the mind before sleeping yes well look sleep is a non-negotiable biological necessity sleep is nature's life support system So, you know, sleep is, without a doubt, the most important part of the day. So the first step in good sleep hygiene, and we talk, you know, as a dentist, people are used to people talking about oral hygiene, and yes, it's important, but we spend an awful lot of time talking about sleep hygiene, and step number one in sleep hygiene is to realise how important it is, sleep, Mm -hmm. and prioritise it. Sleep hygiene? Yes, sleep hygiene. I've actually never heard of that, and I love it. I love yes. it. Yes. That's great. Okay. What? Okay. Well, we can. do you want to talk about sleep hygiene? I do, and then I want to – I actually want to go into how stress and cortisol is actually stored in the body, and we actually we, – we have to remove it. We can't just – is that correct? Because I read a study well, on that. Well, I'm, I'm actually not sure about that. I'm, I, I feel like the cortisol levels go up when you are stressed and, and if you are sufficiently well rested and you incorporate a nutrient-dense diet and movement 
into your day, then it will naturally rebalance. You know, mm. it's not not like it gets stored in. I, to my knowledge, it's not necessarily stored. It's just if it continually re you're refilling, if you like, the, yeah. the whole system. So I, I think you know there are ways of overcoming that. I think the key is not so much what happens to the cortisol, but the fact that you are constantly producing it that is probably more of an issue, to my understanding. And I could be wrong, but sleep hygiene is a really important one. Mm. And and sleep hygiene is about, well, it's about firstly prioritising. The second thing is to establish a routine. Now, it doesn't matter whether you've got a, a newborn baby, whether you're somebody in your 20s, 30s, 50s, 60s or an 80-year-old, um, or beyond, uh, people love routine, and so does our body. And so having a good routine is really important. Now, you know, I go to bed usually around 9.30, 10 o'clock. So I, and I usually wake up around 5.30, 6 o'clock because I like to do some exercise early in the morning. Mm -hmm. so, so I set a mental alarm to say, if I want to be asleep by 10 o'clock, I mean asleep by 10 o'clock, then I need to start shutting down what my mind is doing around 9 o'clock. I need to be thinking, okay, I'm preparing for bed. And that means I'm not sitting on my computer. I'm not answering emails. I'm not looking at Facebook. Not only are we wired radio, radio, radio from a radiation perspective, which isn't good, we're also wired from a light perspective, which is yes. coming off coming off those screens, and that's affecting our melatonin levels. Yeah. But we're also wired mentally. You know, we are mentally wired. We're trying to solve. This is not a time to be solving or becoming in tune with the problems of the world or what all your friends are doing all around the world. This is a time to quieten down, to dim the lights, to stop using technology to get ready for a great night's sleep because a great night's sleep, night after night after night, is going to be really good for you. So a routine is really important. Now, that involves also um, what food you eat. You know, you don't want to be eating for you don't want to be eating two hours before you go to bed. So, you know, if you're arriving home late from work, that starts to pose a problem and you have to start organising your day around, around your food. So also important not to be – I mean, alcohol is an obvious one. Look, it helps us get to sleep, but it certainly doesn't set us up for a good night's sleep. Mm. Uh, ca caffeine, you shouldn't be having caffeine after 1 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, it just – it'll affect the way you sleep and that's not a good thing either. Noise, a big one. Mm. Uh, you, you really need to make sure that your room in which you're sleeping is not noisy, and that includes your partner. If you accept that sleeping is the most important part of the day for your health and you are lucky enough to share a room with somebody who you love and care about, then your snoring or noise that you may make from your breathing or snoring that's disturbing your partner is a serious issue and should not be dismissed. So noise, not just from the street, from your neighbours, um, but, but also from your partner are really important. I said light, and light is really important. Your room should be dark. You shouldn't have electronic equipment within a two-metre radius of your bed. And, I, and wow. I know a lot of people wear these devices and think, oh, wow, great, I'm going to put my, my app under my pillow and it'll tell me how I'm sleeping. That is terrible. That is just, that's just terrible. Yes, it will tell you you're not sleeping as well as you should. Hey, guess what? That device under your pillow or within two metres of your room, of your head, 
um, is affecting the way you sleep. So move the technology out of the room. How about flight and mode for the t- for the phone? Flight mo- flight mode's okay. Okay, yep. great. Flight flight mode's okay, and and you know I think on a lot of the phones now and on a lot of the uh, e- the e readers, you know, flux or that orange that that warmer light uh, is a better thing to use. Mm. Um, so so you know, flight mode is a better thing. So you know, we we talk about that. All that sleeping routine is really important. The other thing is, uh, and when you've got all of that sorted out. The next most, in fact, the most important thing, and I alluded to this when I talked about quantity of sleep, but quality, the most important thing is that you breathe well while you're asleep because you. the idea of sleep is to regenerate, reboot the system. You need a good blood flow, a good oxygen supply all around the body for that to happen. And if you're not breathing well while you're asleep, then you could be sleeping for 10 hours a night and still waking up feeling tired. So breathing is one is the most important part of, of a good night's sleep. How are we supposed to control our breathing when we're unconscious, though? How do we know if we've been breathing well or poorly during the night? Well, I think that's about, about us, uh, how you're feeling. Okay. That's how, that's how you're feeling. I mean, you know, you want to trust your feelings. So for people that are getting seven or eight hours sleep a night and waking up feeling full of beans, um, hey, they're probably breathing well while they're asleep. For people who are sleeping seven or eight hours or maybe even nine, ten or more hours and waking up feeling tired, well, they may not be breathing as well as they can. Yeah. And, and when we do an assessment of people's breathing, there are two um, really important uh, things that, uh, that can happen when you are breathing um, at, at, while you're asleep. One of them is a reduction in sleeping um, in, in the airway. So it's kind of the airway gets blocked, partially blocked, and that's called a hypopnea, a hypopnea. So say your tongue drops back and... and partially blocks the airway and so you're not getting you you've got a restricted airway and that's called a hypopnea and sometimes the airway can completely collapse and you actually stop breathing you can actually stop breathing while you're asleep and that's called an apnea now when it becomes clinically significant when one of those two events a hypopnea restriction or an apnea, complete blockage, occurs for more than 10 seconds, that's considered a clinically significant event. Mm. And so when we do sleep assessments, what we do is we look at how many times in an hour you have an event of more than 10 seconds of either restriction or complete blockage. Now, if people have a blockage of that occurring, it's called uh, hypopnea apnea index, API index, um, if that occurs 5 to 15 times a night, uh, in an hour, that's considered uh, a significant problem. And I had a patient a few weeks ago that came to see me and she came in with chronic fatigue and uh, she'd had chronic fatigue for 25 Such an years. interesting subject. Such yeah, she had chronic subject. fatigue for 25 years. Wow. And she was on antidepressants and she'd been to see lots of doctors, lots of naturopaths, lots of nutrition, you know. And, and we always ask three really important questions. And, and I'll ask your listeners this same question. Is it easy for you to fall asleep at night? Yes or no. Do you, do you wake up through the night? 
And most importantly, do you wake up feeling refreshed? Well, I asked this patient, do you wait, do you, is it easy for you to fall asleep at night? And she said, oh, Dr. Ron, sleep is not a problem for me. I can sleep anytime, anywhere. I just put my head on the pillow and I'm out like a light, <laughs> right? And yeah. I went, well, well, now hang on. That exactly could be the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that you can do that, that you can fall asleep at the drop of a hat could be a problem. Because, and it turned out, so we sent her off for a sleep study and they did an assessment and they found that she had 58 episodes every hour <gasps> where either her, her airway partially or completely collapsed. Now, given there are only 60 minutes in an hour um, and her longest... She get this. The longest time that she actually stopped breathing was around seventy-five seconds. So she actually stopped breathing oh in one gosh. of those episodes for seventy-five seconds. So you know, no one had ever really looked into her sleep, and so we did look into her sleep, and we dealt with the sleep problem. And I and I mean, we could go into how you do that, but. We, we gave her, she ended up with what's called a CPAP machine, which is a little mask that fits on your face that actually keeps the airway pumped, uh, inflated, if you like, with just a continuous pressure of air coming through the mask. It's not like blowing in your face, but it's this very light, quiet pressure. And within two months, she was full of beans. And within six months, she was off her antidepressants because she wasn't Tired, wow. like she'd been for twenty five years, mm. and and you know she she wasn't depressed, she wasn't tired. So, you know those, that's how you know whether you've got um, a breathing issue. The other way, let's go back to those three questions: Is it easy for you to fall asleep at night? I mean, you know that is forty percent of the population suffer from insomnia at some point in their lives, and yeah. so at any at any one time. So, how quickly you go to sleep? can be a significant issue, particularly if it bothers you, particularly if it bothers you. If mm. you go to sleep and you're just lying there quietly resting with your eyes closed and you almost feel like you're in a meditative state, and yes, you may not be going to sleep, but you're resting and it doesn't really bother you, um, that may not be as big an issue as if you're tossing and turning for 20 or 30 minutes and you just want to get to sleep, but you just can't. That's a problem. The other one is, is it, do you wake up through the night? Now, here's an interesting one, Louisa. People often don't associate going to the bathroom at night with a breathing issue, but I'm telling you, when, you, when people wake up through the night and need to go to the bathroom, more often than not, that is a reflection of breathing going out of balance. Mm. So that's an interesting Does point. that increase with age? <laughs> it, do, it does increase with age. And yeah. as somebody who is uh, myself, I'm 62 years old and I know that I've had an enlarged prostate for many years. Um, and getting up at night to go to the bathroom is often a symptom of an enlarged prostate. Mm. But when, when you deal with the breathing issue, which I did, um, my enlarged prostate didn't seem to be the problem that I thought it was. And by breathing, I meant ideally you want to be breathing through your nose at night. And how do you do that? You know, if your mouth goes open while you're asleep, how do you do that? Well, we've got a really simple little exercise that we encourage a lot of my patients to use, and that is the use of micropore tape 
on the mouth at night and it comes from a Russian breathing technique called buteko and I just love that technique I just wow it, it is this very simple, simple very very simple and profound because if you breathe through your nose that is the way you should be breathing by the way through the day as well breathing through your nose warms, humidifies, filters the air, it helps balance out body chemistry, it relaxes smooth muscle. Get this, it encourages nitric oxide production. Now that's not nitrous oxide or happy gas that you get in the dentist or when you're having a baby, it's nitric oxide and nitric oxide is one of nature's most important body regulators and to all those athletes out there, nitric oxide improves blood flow. Mm. So, and it improves uh, performance on all sorts of different levels, including sexual performance. So, yeah. you know, improving blood flow is really important. 60% of the body's nitric oxide level, oh, yeah, no, let me start again. 60% of the body's nitric oxide is produced in the nasal sinuses when you breathe through your nose. So, if you're a mouth breather, you are foregoing that very important body regulator so you know these are all parts of how well you breathe the secret to living a long life louisa this is i'm, I'm giving you a big secret let's here. all listen up i'll turn this up okay, a bit turn, turn this up <laughs> a bit is to keep breathing for as long as you as long as you can that's the secret to a long life right mm. not a big breakthrough i know but the secret to living a healthy long life or one of the secrets is to breathe well for as long as you can. And there is a big difference between breathing and breathing well. Mm. I was speaking with a, it's so interesting you said that because I was speaking with a doctor um, in San Diego and he's done a lot of research into microbiome saying that if we increase the, um, if we actually, I'll, I'll repeat, I'll, I'll start that again. If we go out and breathe in air where there's a lot of trees, you know, for example, at Centennial Park or where there's a lot of green and we get away from the city, then we're more likely to reduce cortisol levels in our body. We're more likely to, you know, increase the the more nutrient and oxygen rich, uh, I guess, I'm probably going to cut this part out, but I mean, what I'm trying no, no, to say no, keep is on going. It's good because what I'm trying to say is that the, the, yeah. the oxygen, there's more nutrients in the oxygen when you're out in a, in a land filled with like green, with grass, yes. with trees. Is that correct? Yes. I, I believe that is correct. Yeah. And, and negative ion generators try to reproduce that. Yeah. Negative ion, you know, it's like, why do we feel so good when we're walking past running, you know, a waterfall or mm. walking through a forest or, you know, exactly what you've just said. And part of that reason is not only we are probably in a much cleaner environment, but we are also taking in negative ions. And negative ions have a very positive, <laughs> a very positive effect from negative ions mm. um, on our on our body physiology. So yeah, okay, absolutely, reducing stress, reducing cortisol levels, all of that, all of the above. So let's let's just focus on the fact that at. At NeuroAthletics, we have a philosophy, and that is the mind is what the brain does. We believe that the brain is the powerhouse of the entire body. If you can get this, you know, constructed, a lot of people, you know, in the media now, we hear about mindfulness, and you know, we mindfulness is just a fancy word for staying present. We don't really hear about the brain because it's a complex organ. We don't understand it too much. But what I try and say is that if we can understand the brain you know, to the best of our ability, 
if we can change that and make it as healthy as we can, um, then the mind will follow. Now, with all the research that you've done into stress and cortisol, do you think that high levels of stress affect the brain and then in turn affect the mind? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Abs- absolutely, in a huge way. Mm. And, 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 in, and in so many ways. I mean, like, for example, um, the gut, is now being referred to as the, the second, second brain. brain. <laughs> you know, the gut is the home of 80% of our body's immune system. I mean, there, there, the, the connection between mood and food is a profound one. And we kind of know it instinctively, you know, like w- when we binge out on stuff, you know, it's because we're not feeling great and we feel like we need to, um, you know, reward ourselves with some sugar or, or whatever that, that we know isn't good for us and all that. So... The connection between the gut and the brain. But I agree with you, Louisa. I mean, the brain is the big one. You know, we've just had the Australian Open here in Australia, and I'm always impressed by the fact that the, what separates these elite athletes? Mm. You know, they are they are all scratch golfers. They are all A1 tennis players. Mm. But it's, the, it's the, the player that mentally can repeat, the, can maintain the performance shot after shot Mm. game after game, set after set, match after match, that ends up being the winner, you know. And, and you look at Roger Federer and yeah. you've just got to be in, in awe of that guy yeah. because, you know, athletic, yes, he's very athletic. Has he got the shots? Yes, he's got all the shots. But what has he got above everybody else? The mental capacity to be at the top and stay at the top and maintain best performance. So I totally agree with you. The yeah. mind is where it's all at. But how do we get the mind into that place? And that's all about dealing with a whole stress model. Mm, it is. And it's actually dealing with consistency. I've, um, we have a very, I always say to our clients that come on board, I always say the, the first hour of every morning and the last hour before you switch off at night are the most important. They're your constants. And what happens during the day is, is more like a variable. I say if you can get the first hour of your morning controlled, the last hour of your day controlled, then we're on a much better path. And it's not about getting up and doing 10 minutes of meditation on Monday and then skipping it until Friday. You have to do the work every day because your brain works on habits. And the more you do it, the more likely that you are, it's going to become second nature to you. So just like the breathing exercise you gave us, the more times we practice that, the better yeah. we're going to be at, at being able to calm ourselves down through our breathing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, again, it's about routine. We love mm. routine. Our body loves routine. And if we can set up a good routine that our body loves and our minds love, hey, that's a really good formula for, for being well. Yeah. Or as well as we can. So if someone's listening right now and they're like, okay, great, all this information is fantastic, but I'm dealing with, I get anxiety for, you know, I've, I've heard a lot. I've heard so many things, Dr. Ron. I've, I get anxiety when um, I see my ex on social media or I get anxiety yeah. when my boss walks past me and they get the same reaction as as if, you know, a car was coming for them. So how okay. does somebody in this position who gets constant anxiety, how, how do they start getting on a plan to reduce that anxiety and to reduce these stress levels that they have? Well, um, I, I, I really believe that you've got to start with sleep. And, and okay. every, single health, every single mental health condition, mm. depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, post-traumatic stress disorder, 
suicidal thoughts, attention deficit disorder. Every single mental health issue is associated with poor sleep. So, you know, hey, there's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. And when we start to talk about sleep as a priority, then we start to take control of some of the things we otherwise don't feel we have control over. Mm -hmm. When we get a consistently good night's sleep, that part of our brain, well, a lot happens in our brain at that point. When we have a sleep deficit, our memory uh, is affected because a part of our brain called the hippocampus shuts down. Mm-hmm. Our ability to learn things is affected. Our, our, another part of our brain called the amygdala, which is really important in empathy mm-hmm. and emotion, goes haywire. So, so, you know, that sets us up for all sorts of mental health issues. Breathing is really important. We should be breathing 8 to 12 times a minute. I had a patient come in um, just a few weeks ago who, you know, was coming in for their routine, they were a new patient, and they were sitting there and we were, I was looking at them and I was noticing their mouths open and they're almost panting. Now, if you are breathing too quickly, you are hyperventilating. And if you are hyperventilating, not to the point where you knock yourself out, but to the point where you upset your body chemistry, And that affects every system in your body. It affects your blood flow. It affects your respiratory rate. It affects your hormones. So, so, you know, focusing on what you can can control is a really good way of starting this journey. Mm. And that's why I think it's really important um, to to, um, reach a point where you accept that you are the most important person in this health journey and that you do have the ability to take control in small steps and build resilience physically, mentally, emotionally. And it starts with sleep and it, beca- and it also involves breathing. So that would be my first step. Amazing. I'm guessing you're like me in the sense that you're not fond of the pharmaceutical industry. Um, <laughs> I am. Um, the reason I say that is because, as a you know, as a biohacker myself, I've taken. I'm I'm willing to try anything. I take a lot of things for myself just to understand a lot. Now, I had a um, I had a CEO who used to get stressed a lot. He didn't sleep, and I I got him taking 500 milligrams of GABA. Um, uh-huh. at about 11 a.m. and then also um, before he slept and it you know yeah. it was great for him so what are your yeah. what's your take on nutrition in that aspect I'm not talking about Xanax or anything yeah 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 prescription look based. look um, just quickly on the on the pharmaceutical you know like we have got an epidemic of preventable chronic diseases and that has been fed by the food and pharmace- and, and the chemical industry. It's been fed by the food and the chemical industry. It's been managed by the pharmaceutical and the healthcare industry. And it's a great economic model. It's a terrific economic model. It makes trillions or billions, I don't even know what trillions or billions means, of dollars in profit. Mm. The only problem is it's not a very good health model. And so, you know, our health systems become a chronic disease management system, not a healthcare system. And if you want to be part of that, you know, you're going to be met by people with open arms. But I don't. I want to take control of my own health. Now, you ask about, um, I think I think food, I mean, okay, once you've got your sleep under control and you're sure you're breathing well and you're controlling your parasympathetics and all that. And, so, and by the way, breathing is also about posture. 
and and that's another story we could talk about, particularly when you're involved with athletic performance. Mm. But but I digress for a moment. Back to nutrition. I think there are some really simple things, uh, principles, because we're bombarded constantly by the latest superfood, the latest supplement, mm. the latest this, the latest that. I think what we need is some basic principles that guide us through every decision we make. And, and those basic principles are eat nutrient-dense foods, right? That is the principle overriding everything else. Most of the food we eat should be vegetables. I think a vegetable-based diet is very important with lots of different colours and lots and lots of variety. We should have, moderate, we should have a moderate amount of ethically grown protein. And by ethically grown, mm. I mean grass-fed grass, grass and grass-finished. Yes. You know, this, this whole mass-produced factory farming of animals is unethical, it's cruel, it's unnatural, it's not good for the animals, it's not good for the environment. I don't believe it's good for the farmers and it's certainly not good for, for us as consumers. Yeah. So I think moderate amount of ethically grown protein is very important. The, the third thing is healthy fats. And by healthy fats, I mean the fats from ethically grown animals. Mm -hmm. And that could be butter. It could be, it could be the, la the fat off those animals. Um, it could be olive oil, which doesn't come from grass-fed animals, I know. <laughs> it could be, you know, uh, those kind of things. So healthy fats are really important because we need those healthy fats to assimilate the, the water-soluble vitamins and the minerals. We need those healthy fats to keep our insulin levels down as low as possible. And insulin level down as low as possible is the best thing for cardiovascular health and for anti-cancer. All of those things are related to, and diabetes and obesity, of course, so healthy fats, we need good quality salt. This whole demonization of cholesterol is oh. just, you know, don't even get me started on that, Louisa, or should we? No. Let's well, I, I love the keto diet, and I believe that you've just really explained it because the keto diet is 75% uh, fat and then, you know, you've got 5% uh, carbs and the rest is protein. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, and, I, and you know, this whole demonization of... of uh, Fats, animal fats, and okay, factory farmed animal fats I have a problem with ethically and health-wise as well, but that from healthy animals, this demonization of animal fat and this demonization of cholesterol, which is a central part of every single cell in our body yeah. and is an important part of every hormone, you know, that we need, all our sex hormones, all our vitamin D, we need cholesterol for healthy vitamin D. Oh, look, you know, this whole demonization of fat, and I also believe the same is true of salt, this whole demonization of salt is just ridiculous. You know, I mean, really, I mean, if we're talking about table salt with sodium and chloride, uh, if we're talking about salt in processed food, yeah, let's not eat that kind of salt. But incorporating healthy salt, um, which, which incidentally, a healthy salt should have 60 to 70 different trace elements in it, all of which we need to be healthy, um, is a really important part of our diet. Water. Water is still the best drink 
you know, there there is, and by that I mean clean water. So in my house, mm. I, I use a reverse osmosis water filter, uh, which takes everything out, including fluoride, takes everything out, and then I take a couple of grains of Himalayan rock salt and I just drop it in the water, and, and bingo, I've got my own instant homemade pure mineral water with some trace elements in it, and, and I just think that's the best drink. Amazing. Um, that is the yeah. that is the best type. The power of alkalinity. Yeah. Well, you know, I I'm not a big one on alkaline water. I really I think it oversimplifies the whole issue of alkalinity, because I like take for example, you know, we all, all I think know that having a glass of water in the morning with a little squeeze of lemon juice or maybe even some apple cider vinegar is a really good way of getting the body going, getting the digestive system ready for digestion. You know, I think most people accept that. Well, a little squeeze of lemon juice and a little squeeze or a little, you know, a capful of <clears throat> apple cider vinegar puts the water into a slightly acid state. So, you know, our stomachs need to be acidic to digest the food. So the alkalinity occurs a little bit further down the digestive tract. So it's an oversimplification, I believe. I could be wrong. But I believe it's an oversimplification to think, oh, my body is too alkaline. I better drink alkaline water. It's just oversimplifying things. Yeah. Well, look, this has been such a profound Q&A. I've absolutely loved it. At the end of every interview now, we've been doing a new thing, and that is what is the number one tip you can give somebody on how they can become at their peak? So, to get so for anybody looking at um, performing at their best, what is yep. the number one tip you could give them? Well, okay, listen. As far as I know, Louisa, <clears throat> we only get one shot at this life, mm. and and uh, you know my number one tip is it doesn't matter what you do or who you are. Um, I think the number one goal in life is to fulfil your potential, and in order to fulfil your potential, I believe you've got to take control of your own health. And by doing that, if you focus on sleeping well, breathing well, nourishing yourself, moving and thinking well, then there's a very good chance you'll be well and you'll fulfil your potential. So my number one, um, well, uh, uh, rule or advice or encouragement would be fulfil your potential, take control of your own health. I love that and I completely agree. Thank you so much, Dr. Ron. How can we find out more information on your book? Where do we go? Well, uh, you can go on to uh, my website, which is Dr. Ron Ehrlich. That's uh, Dr. R-O-N and it's E-H-R-L-I-C-H mm-hmm. dot com or the book's called A Life Less Stressed, The Five Pillars of Health and Wellness or the podcast is called Unstress with Dr. Ron Ehrlich. I love that. I'm actually going to include those in the footnotes of the podcast. But thank you so much for that. And hopefully I'll get to see you in your um, Sydney office someday. Thanks, Louisa. Thank you. I greatly appreciate your time. If you could go through, please, and rate this podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me. Have a fantastic day.